Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Fridays, right? For the art. Back at it. Awards galore. The best damn sports podcast in the world. And that's not me talking, right? Yeah. Except that one, right? Stick that one in your pipe, all right? Somebody get me a lighter. It's Friday, April 8th, 2022. And this is right here, Morning Combat. This is about as good as it gets, folks. So enjoy it. My name is Brian Campbell. That beige guy, right? The BBC with that BDE little 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 alpha status coming at you right here. But you know, you may you may stay because of me. But what gets you in the building is my co-host, right? Just what a what a fantastic representation of what a strong Amer- Armenian American can look like. His name is Luke Thomas. I'll take that. That sounds great. How you doing, BC? I'm sorry <laughs> that um, you know I don't give away too much business, but you obviously had planned to go on vacation, and some things have gotten a little bit messed up. But yeah, I got to tell you what. I would certainly, I, I'm sorry to hear about those things, but I'm, you know, selfishly, I'm glad you're on the show today. So right. um, welcome back, I guess, something like that. At least two of us can be selfish now. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Little illnesses in the family. Uh, you know, I, I may have caught some shrapnel from that, but we're going to get by. We're going to be fine. We're going to do this. Your boy BC checking in on the ones and twos today because we have a loaded show, probably the best 90 minutes in combat sports talk you can find anywhere all things UFC 273, a loaded boxing weekend, including a must-see Showtime Championship boxing return this Saturday night. Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fundora, among many other matchups, right? Ryan Garcia coming back, Triple G, and all that. So uh, now would be a great time, by the way, to support the label that pays us, and that is Showtime. You can go to Showtime.com. Get your 33 days right the heck now. You get the championship boxing Bellator's got some outrageous matchups coming up that you're not going to want to miss, okay? Uh, check that out. Check that shit out there. 30 days or pound sand, right? That's the deal we're offering you. Also, let's speed through it. You can wear fine clothing like this. Morning Combat Dot Store, a fantastic merch site. Uh, you want Luke's dead face? You want some factory bullshit? We got all that stuff, RJ and more, so check that out. Luke, I'm not here to read ads, although... You know what I do, right? You know how I get down each morning, especially when I got a sick family around me. So (laughs) AG1 Athletic Greens, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Luke, I got on their subscription plan. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not milking right now. I'm paying. I'm I'm a customer. I I still have a bunch of my supply left, but when that runs out, I probably will get more. Yeah. Luke, you look very thin and cropped today. Did you get the $85 haircut? I did. I got the haircut. Um, oh, Rooster reminds me, I got to tip this guy on Venmo. Um, but, yeah, um, you better show him the tip yeah. of your penoir, Luke. Whatever you got to uh, do. Yeah, right? it was, you know, again, I don't love painters. Oh, I have to tell you this very quickly. I had a couple of people reach out being like, oh, I found a place in D.C. for 50 bucks. Now, I checked them out and they all have terrible reviews, but I did see one person send me one. B.C., <laughs> is this acceptable to you? Comes to your house, so you probably have to tip real nice. Baseline, shower the whole nine yards, cut, including a beer trim. 
$65. What do you think about that? They, they come, come to your, your house? house? Dude, that's that's intense. Whatever happened to the, you know, the let's be fair, the Hispanic corner barbershop that does the badass fades for like 11 bucks, Luke. You can still do that in Connecticut, okay? Do you that go you to the still... Hispanic place that does the fades? Uh, not currently, but I've been to many, Luke, and they do a fantastic job. Somebody will run in and sell you DVDs out of a bag that were filmed in a movie theater, but that's that's part of the deal right there, okay? You that sounds like saying? a good deal, actually. I wish yeah. I could find one of those spots. Yeah, it actually is. Luke, you want off-brand Viagra? Go to a Hispanic barbershop. Thank you very much. All right, Luke, enough of the jokes and good times. Uh, we know why we're here, and that is because of a loaded weekend of fights. Let's set the stage. Are you ready, Luke? Can you buckle up? Can you, uh, uh, you ready? You good? All right. Had a good what, night of sleep, bro. I'm ready to go. What row of the airplane are you sitting on today, Luke? Just so we know. All right. Delta zero, unfortunately, but maybe later on my return flight, I'll get a Delta eight. Uh, yeah. Imagine if we got a sponsor in that category, Luke. Good Lord. What, what would we something? do? With, what would we do with that? All righty. Uh, like us, subscribe us, all that good stuff, right? You know, I mean, there's a reason why we keep winning these damn awards. And that's because of you great people. So there's our social channels below. If you're audio only, please uh, how about slapping on a review? And if you like us, go five stars. It's your it's your, uh, it's your, your business, right? Do that shit. But now let's set the stage. It all goes down this Saturday night, Jacksonville, Florida. The Star Memorial Championship Arena. I don't know what the hell they call it. I call it UFC 273. And Luke, talk about a triple header of fights we need to see with big time uh, stakes and two titles on the line. But obviously that third one, the People's Main Event, we'll get to shortly is the one that's getting people interested in here. We start at the top, though, Luke. They did the press conference yesterday. Eh, not much to talk about there. We saw Alexander Volkanovsky come out. Still got the pirate head shave, the beard, the open shirt. Looks like a million bucks. He'll be defending that title against late replacement, the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. Luke, uh, we didn't get a face-off for every fight yesterday. I don't know if that's because Dana wasn't there or not. John Anik did officiate in a main event face-off. As we got through this week, we know what's happening here. Volkanovski, a monster favorite, a contender for the pound-for-pound pound crown. Is there any hope here? How about from a betting standpoint? What the hell's going to happen Saturday night beyond the default of Volkanovski by unanimous decision? What do you mean what's going to happen beyond that? I'm not sure I totally understand the question. You know, what's going to happen that could change the result beyond ah, what everybody thinks coming in? I see. Okay. Well, you just have to ask yourself where a Korean zombie does his best work. And I would argue that, well, he's, he's got a lot of different places where he's talented. But given what he's up against, so, right, both guys are going to try to implement from the moment the bell sounds. It seems to me that what really this fight is going to hinge on is, one, uh, the ability of Korean zombie to make reads. Of course, that's, that's true for everyone. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to say counterboxing. I really believe that the counterboxing of Korean zombie has got to be on point for him to have a chance of winning. Because while Volkanovski doesn't have perfect takedown defense, he does have really good takedown defense, including the kind where, like Peter Yan does, where you might sit him to his rear end, but then he's scrambling right away, so you might have gotten it on paper, but it wasn't of any kind of you know genuine meaningfulness through the course of the fight. He's got to really find a way to make the counterboxing work. And we know he's got a vicious uppercut. We know he's got a lot of different things he can use in that tool shed, uh, or tool belt anyway, whatever the metaphor might be. But without it, I really struggle to see how he has a chance of winning. He doesn't have, you know, a super prodigious jab, um, although he's got, obviously, you know, overall complete striking. Not much of a kickboxer at range, so he's going to have to wait until Volkanovski is in that range. I, I do think mixing in takedown attempts, which we, which we saw in the Dan Ige fight, is actually also pretty important. Not so much to hold Volkanovski down, but this is the thing. We talk about it all the time. If 
always ask yourself, what conditions have to be in place for X or Y fighter to do their best work? And if we're talking about Volkanovsky, he needs a little bit of room. And what he needs is that time to do all of the setups, time to do all of the pattern building, and then to break the pattern. You have to minimize his capacity to do that. You have to put doubt in his mind. You have to put him on the defensive back foot to an extent, at least in certain parts of the fight. Obviously, I'm talking about counterboxing, but I think both would work in conjunction with one, one another. You have to slow that process down. Um, so I think that for the Korean zombie, he's got a real chance. He is heavy-handed. I actually think he's probably the much heavier puncher of the two. Uh, he, he has a slight reach advantage, although nothing super significant. But I do believe if you're going to wait until this guy comes into range, take down attempts, take down threats, scrambling, coming out on top, and then really finding a way to light him up when he comes inside. Without that, I struggle to see how Korean Zombie can win. Uh, yeah, and uh, you, you echo what the betting odds makers have laid out from the beginning. And right now, our friends at Caesar Sportsbook have minus 700 for Volkanovski. That's plus, a little high. That's very high. Plus 500 for the damn zombie who, like, uh, we gave him his flowers on Wednesday. That Dan Ige win, the five rounds, the mixture of the, of the grappling threat and the punching, the patience. It was an evolution from his loss to Brian Ortega, which I think was very humbling and leveling out. But even under the guise, Luke, and I think John Anik said it best at the press covers on Thursday, that the odds makers set these lines obviously to sway betting. Uh, it just seems very wide. Volkanovski, 33, entering his third title defense. Is he at the peak of his game? Absolutely. Is he potentially even getting better? I'm going to say there's still room for that, Luke. I'm wondering here if Volkanovski looks at this as a potential fight, he can get a stoppage in. A potential fight that if he commits a little bit more to the offense, looking for those big shots as he ducks and darts on the way in and out, could he begin a sea change of his reputation similar to what Kamaru Usman did in recent fights, particularly the Gilbert Burns stoppage followed by the knockout of Masvidal in the rematch, where it starts to, you know, completely well-round his game and open up the, the opportunities of, of going to that ne next level and becoming a historic player. You do wonder if that'll be there in play for him if Volkanovski begins to build a lead. But back to the idea of the odds and what you're saying about not really finding a, a, a an easy road to victory for, for TKZ, a path that he can t potentially walk down. Look, the key in the 35-year-old Chan Sung Jung's evolution in recent years since coming back from the three and a half years off the 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 two-year military uh step aside all of that is look he's not the blood and guts brawler he was he's a lot more careful patient you know thoughtful if you will do you need him to throw that out the window though because the idea of him trying to play chess with the chess master really seems like a bad idea you add in that chan sung jung is very heavy on the front leg Volkanovski could potentially at will chip away from that at the outside on the outside. And then once that starts to add up, really start to take some more chances and get inside and land big ones. Do you, if you like the idea of taking big plus money on Chan Sung Jung, need the 2013 zombie to come through that door come Saturday night, Luke? See, here's the thing. Like, you have to really make a, uh, a choice here. It's a very difficult choice. Do you play up to your strengths, which again will, uh, if not maximize them, get them uh, seemingly for at least whatever window that you can put them in, get a lot out of them, let's put it that way, but then raise your defensive liabilities, right? Because then you have a guy like Volkanovsky who can pick you off if you do. Or do you say, I'm going to play a more reserved game to lower the defensive vulnerabilities, but then you somewhat limit your offense. 
This is what a choice a lot of fighters have to make when they go up against guys like Volkanovski. Or sometimes, by the way, for that matter, Adesanya, depending on the matchup. Uh, it's a very difficult one. I'll, I'll say this. I, I think you kind of have to... I know I borrow this metaphor all the time, but I do think there's going to be a bit of a needle threading here. Now, listen to what I said before with the counterboxing. There's one detail that I kind of forgot that I, I need to include here, which I think kind of answers your question. I do think that the counterboxing is going to be important. You're going to have to get... If, you know, Volkanovski's defense when he's looking away is pretty good. He gets hit a little bit more than you might imagine. His strikes absorb per minute, 3.34, although he lands 6.42, so he's got a great differential. But 3.34 is a little on the high end. The point I'm trying to make here is I do think he has to counterbox, but BC, I think he has to pressure with his footwork. He's got to find a way to back Volkanovski up. When you go back and you look at when was the last time Volkanovski outside of the submissions from Brian Ortega, when was the last time he was in trouble, like real trouble? I would argue, yes, Max dropped him to a knee once, but that's not the same thing. I think when Mendez dropped him, Mendez dropped him pretty hard, and he did it with like a two-punch combination. When did he do it? Volkanovski was up against the fence. When he can't move like that, and they're exchanging, and you're punching with him, so there can, there's that counter element, right? You're going just behind him and getting out of the way, and then throwing around him and landing. That is a, a, a literal, genuine model of success, at least for short periods. But of course, BC, here's the other component to that. One nice shot is great, and that all counts, and that matters, but it's hard to put Volkanovski out with one shot. So there's going to be sustained pressure in his face. you got to get up in there. That's where I think the takedown's mixing up, level changing's mixing up, and then that counterboxing using some of the little bit of extra reach he might have and the good pattern recognition, typically, on some of the people who pump the jab a lot and stuff like that. that I think that is a viable path. How likely is it? Different story, but I do think it can be done. It's hard because if you're a Korean zombie and you look to throw out the recent positive changes you made because the idea that you know, you try to be your best in those categories, Volkanovski's going to dance around you easily. If he comes out brawling, Luke, you're not going to gas Volkanovski out. In fact, you're probably going to gas yourself out trying to do that. I mean, we really only have to go back a few fights to see what happens if the zombie is a little bit too aggressive like he was against Ortega. Now, Ortega had length that Volkanovski doesn't, although Alex does have longer arms than you would sort of think for his height. Mm -hmm. But Ortega, God, did he just, you know, deftly dance around him and pepper him that's also a bad avenue here. Look, there's a lot of bad roads for TKZ, which obviously explains the odds. So is it as simple as this? If we are not seeing him in the first two rounds, putting Volkanovski on his back and at least holding him there, you'd like to have some offensive top position, of course, but at least showing that it is a threat only, only if, just to keep Volkanovski guessing, only so that he can't be in full downhill control of the terms mode, if I don't see him taking him down, true or false, dude, it's a longer night than we even than we're even painting right here. I mean, this is that that has got to be the only foundation he can build to really try to work off beyond the idea of one big counter shot to change the momentum here. I mean, to me, you know, there's obviously this is not this is not uh, certainly universally true, but what I would say is at this stage of Volkanovski's career, I would not call him like a Jan slow starter in the same way where Jan is very reserved relative to how he opens up later. But I would say that the first round, first round and a half, that is typically where Volkanovski is a little bit subdued. You got to get in his face because if he has time in that round slash seven and a half minutes to begin to like, okay, now I know what I'm looking at. Let's begin to put things together. Then it's already too late. You, you have to, you have to make that adjustment period 
further back in the fight or limited altogether. So I think a strong start from the Korean Zombie is absolutely essential in this fight. Um, certainly you could you know, imagine a scenario where he wins without it. The, the four-ounce gloves, he's heavy-handed. The guy's got twisters on his record. You know, he can do a lot. But I just feel like if you've got a guy who lets the fight come to him, certainly you don't want to show all your cards. You're going to have to have a plan B when he makes adjustments, right? The adjustments off of them. But I do think that a strong start is going to be something, if Korean Zombie gets the victory, that is going to be something that we point to as a very meaningful contributing factor, right? Um, so uh, I think that without that, without some of the pressure, without some of the counterboxing, without some of the takedowns, you know, I think those have to be involved too. Um, I, I forget exactly the, the full nature of your question, but but I, I, I just believe that these are the essential ingredients that you're going to have to see that are doable, that are doable, yeah. are very doable. Uh, in fact, we should point out Korean Zombie is typically a pretty strong starter. Like, uh, if anything, I would say he kind of drops off a little bit as time goes on. Although that's not universally true either. So we're going to have to really see that dynamic in play against this guy because the last thing I'd say on this is BC, you have does he have to get the takedown? He has to have a legitimate takedown threat established, whatever that means. That could mean he didn't get the takedowns, but they were real close, and now Volkanovski's worried about him. You have to put doubt and worry and disruption into the calculation process for Volkanovski. few ways to get there, but it has to be done. I talked on Wednesday that if you're Korean Zombie, you, you have been coming in under the radar. People want to see Alex versus Max Part 3. In fact, you know, I've said it, Holloway now being healthy and, and, and throwing his name back in the mix a few weeks ago, it kind of soured the idea of this being a necessary fight, let alone being a competitive one. So will we see a better TKZ than the odds reflect in the general opinion? It is possible. But all that said, Luke, I do not feel like it's enough to get over the top of the champion. I think you would have needed to see things in Alex this week. Again, it's grasping for straws, but distraction. You know, illness, weight issues, all of that. We haven't seen any of that from the champion, who I think said the right things on Thursday, if it matters at all, saying, look, I don't look at this as a replacement fight. I look at this as a, a, another legendary fight. I look at the Korean Zombie as a legendary name in this division. Now, whether you agree with that state use of the word legendary or not, this guy's been around a long time. This guy fought Jose Aldo for the title eight, nine years ago. So I think Alex's head is where it's going to be at. A victory here, Luke, I don't want to say automatic, but it seems pretty close. Um, the real bet, the real value, beyond just saying, look, at plus 500, do I like the value of TKZ? Hey, throw a couple bucks. But, Luke, I think the real value comes down to the method of victory for the champion. Seven of Alexander Volkanovsky's last nine UFC fights have gone the distance. Yeah, he stopped Chad Mendes. Yeah, you know, his power has has hurt guys where you could say, look, if they didn't take their foot off the gas, maybe a stoppage could have happened there. Maybe Alex gets wrongfully thrown in the prime GSP point fighter category at times. Luke, all of that, we get in a decision or are we getting a stoppage here from the champion? Because that might be where the betting value is at entering Saturday night. I'm going to guess that. Ooh, I think a late stoppage. I think a late stoppage for the champ. I think eventually, once he gets cooking, don't know when that will be, but. Once he gets cooking, uh, I think that it's going to be all downhill from there. I, I, I just once once the quicksand starts to pull a Korean zombie, now you're working against the clock, and so there has to be enough of that pushed back so that he can weather any kind of late 
rally or whatever from uh, the champ in order to become one himself. But I don't, I don't perceive that as the likeliest outcome. I do respect Korean Zombie. I do think he's, I want to be clear about this, he is the heavier-handed of the two by a pretty considerable mile. So that should that should give folks some trepidation. But over time, skills win fights. He is far more the skilled fighter of the two, and I tend to think that that's going to play out. I'm going to I'll say I'll say um, fourth round stoppage. BC. I mean, look. To be fair, Ortega really only goes the distance against Volkanovski because one, he seems to be otherworldly tough, as we saw in the Max Holloway fight, and he was enough of a submission threat at times that I think the referee was a little bit cautious in stopping it, knowing that Ortega could rally for something. Really. When he's when Alexander Volkanovsky starts putting it on you, you're not talking to him about him as a point fighter anymore. He has that finishing ability. I think he made Jose Aldo go in the other direction. Look what he did to a Chad Mendes. So um, yeah, I like the champion by stoppage here, Luke. I, I could come by submission on the ground after wearing the zombie down. Um, it's not as if we've seen the zombie being historically vulnerable. He's got an iron chin. I mean, it took that Yair Rodriguez ridiculous elbow to finish him. It took a shoulder injury to you know for Aldo to finish him. But Volkanovski's just too pinpoint perfect on the way he sets it up, Luke. And if he can chip away at that lead leg, and again, uh, TKZ very heavy on that lead leg, Luke. You're going to slow him down. You're going to set him up for the finish. So uh, I like your boy exiting this fight with a renewed pep in his step in the overall number one pound for pound conversation. But that's just me talking, Luke. All right. Yes. I, well, let's see what he does first. Let's see what he does first, and then we can revisit the conversation. Korean Zombie, a very worthy adversary. So let's, I, I agree with you. One, if and when he puts him away, we need to very much revisit the convo, but first things first. First things first. Luke, 13 months after their unfortunate disqualification ending, which caused a bottleneck atop this loaded and deep division at Bantamweight, we get Piotr Jan, the interim champ, against the full one, Aljamain Sterling, the rematch. As we speak now, Caesars has plus 370. Aljo, minus 490. Piotr Jan. Luke, uh, Thursday's presser, we saw Aljo further leaning into the idea of almost this comedic villain, maybe to pump himself up, maybe to try to get in Jan's head, which really doesn't seem possible, but he brought out the Jaguars helmet. He had the MMA rulebook for dummies. Does that do anything for you? Does that do anything for this matchup, or is it just all show? Yeah, no, I don't. It, it, fine, or whatever. If you or if people are into that, they're into that. If that matters to them, it matters to them. These, all of these narratives are fun, and they're uh, you know, cool to talk about on shows like this. But if we're talking X's and O's, then and the stuff that really matters come fight time. Yeah. All right. Well, then final add-in on that. I don't know if you saw this morning, uh, but Aljo got on the scales, made the championship weight, I did see this. And, yes. and broke down in tears. And he would say afterwards, it was you know a lot of emotions. People counting him out. People not realizing the injury recovery that he went through over the last thirteen months, and of course losing this fight the first time around when Corey Sanhagen filled in last minute. Um, Luke, does this at least paint a picture for you that Aljo mentally is right where he needs to be to prove people wrong? Yeah, I think so. Actually, I watched his podcast this week, um, and I've tried to like pay attention to interviews and whatnot. I, I saw the way in this morning, as you indicated. You know, he had the neck surgery. He's finally in a place where he's healthy. I gotta say, I don't know what it will mean for fight night. Maybe nothing, but Jesus Christ, Aljamain Sterling is in incredible condition. He's always shredded, but he looks especially shredded this time. And I think 
probably being healthy and getting back after it is really important. Listen, I rewatched that first fight. I'll, it looked to me like Jan was taking over about midway through, maybe a little bit earlier, depending on one's perspective. But he was definitely taking over. You know, I suspect the same thing will happen here again. But to answer the question you asked, which is what kind of mind state is he in? Is he in the most prep mind state, the most like dialed in? You know, where where where, where would he be in this place? I do think he's dialed in. I do think he trained really well. I do think he crossed every T and dotted every I and that's exactly what you want from a number one contender or a champion. So he can only bring the skills that he has and he can only perform up to up to what he has trained. But it does appear to me that he has put himself in the best possible position. And I know folks are like said he said a lot of delusional things and blah, blah, blah. Hello, folks. I have terrible news for you. Every fighter you love says delusional <laughs> things to you, to themselves, to their coaches, to everyone yeah. around them. They do that as a necessity of trying to put themselves in a position to win. They don't let toxic or negative ideas wash over their brain. They do the opposite. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But if you don't do that, you cannot fight at this level. So make it what, make it what you want of the confidence and everything else. Some of it's staged, some of it's phony. I think a lot of it's real. And more to the point, I think he's finally healthy. And I think he put together probably a very good game plan and um, you know prep for this particular contest. Well, look, let's talk about that game plan. We went at length on Wednesday reviewing the first fight. We saw Aljamain Sterling get off to that insanely quick start against Corey Sanhagen and submit him out of nowhere. We saw him look to put a similar aggressive pace on Jan the first time, uh, getting off first with the strikes, trying to take the fight to the ground and succeeding early. How different do you expect Sterling's approach to be knowing that he was gassing out, especially in that fourth round leading up to the abrupt DQ's finish? Yeah, I mean, what would be the other fight you would point to where... Sterling had suspect cardio. The only one that really stands out to me, I mean, there could be wrong about this, but certainly the most noteworthy one would be the Brian Caraway fight. Mm -hmm. But that was mm -hmm. very aberrant. Um, so, well, I do think, I, I think he has cardio to go five rounds. I just feel like what he did the first time has to be dialed back a little bit. This, though, is the key, BC. And this is why I don't, I'm not exactly sure what Sterling's going to do, except same things, different setups, different looks, but he wants the same end goal. I think he's going to go a lot to the body. I think he's going to try to keep Jan at range with push kicks and leg kicks and slow him down, everything he possibly can, sticking and move, lateral movement, pressing him back, stance switches, pulling him into traps, all that kind of stuff, right? But, dude, that's a fuckload of work. If you don't calibrate how much you have to deliver and how you deliver it up front – you can't scale that over the course of five rounds, and you're going to need all five unless he makes some mistake. We go back to this. Aljamain Sterling attempted 17 takedowns against uh, Piotr Jan. He scored one of them. By contrast, Jan scored all seven of his seven attempts. It was the exact opposite of what, you know, what on paper you might imagine of striker versus grappler. So the point I'm trying to make here is, number one, needs to get that number up big time. You don't have to hold him down. We talked about this on Wednesday. But you do have to maybe look for big shot opportunity off of some kind of takedown threat. And you have to learn how to adjust the scaling of how much offense you should be punishing him with. Although I will say, BC, everyone keeps talking about how he went too hard in the first round. True. No doubt about it. True. But is going a little bit higher than normal in the first round against Jan, who lets the fight come to him, important and frankly, I would argue necessary. Dude. You can get, I'm not going to say a free round against Jan. That's silly. But if you have Aljo's ability, the easiest round to win is going to be round number one. And in that sense, 
you should be able to put one round at the bare minimum in your back pocket with the right game plan and the right execution. Now, from round two on, different ball game. But at least put one in your back pocket, which means you have to claim two of four. That is <laughs> difficult to do, but doable. Yeah, that's the conundrum, Luke, because Yana's slower starter, but a great finisher. So does Sterling need two of the first three rounds? Yes, but but dude, at the same time, he'd almost potentially be better served completely flipping the script in how he fought compared to the first one. Look at Max Holloway. Went out there and lost the first fight to Volkanovski. Close, but but really no one in the right mind is defending that he had a you know a say on the scorecards. Lost a close and clear competitive fight. Makes the adjustments in the second fight. Yeah, you could go either way, and people did, no matter how many times you watched it. Not 49. Um, I'd love to see Sterling use his range, use his quickness to dart in and out, look to really slow down the terms of the offense early and make Jan have to chase a little bit. But even in that strategy, Luke, it's high taxing. Look, it's not an easy game plan. Unless you can lure Jan into blurring the lines of legality again and following himself all out, which is that part of what Sterling's trying to do with the with the goofiness outside of it? I don't know. It's not a good idea either way. But Luke, it's like, in one sense, these are two of the top 15 or 20 best fighters in the world. The two best at the moment in the sports deepest division. So if you're Aljo and you just go out there and be your best version of yourself, maybe that's your best swing you can take. But trying to game plan on what to exploit in Piotr Jan is just such a difficult equation at this point in his career. Also, you got to do damage to him, man, and especially to the body. The push kicks are nice, you know, because obviously they reset range, and if you can really stab them, they can do great damage. I'm not here to say that they can't do great damage. They can do phenomenal damage. But the first time around, they were valuable, but not especially damaging. You know... I you gotta, you gotta get him. You gotta roast those ribs a little bit. You gotta bring that guard down, and everything else has to open up. Because as long as he's willing to eat your body work and keep his hands high, and then you can't use the transfer of his defense to reapply your offense, your offense isn't all that meaningful. This is one thing that's kind of hurting Aljamain Sterling a little bit. Again, he can land and move. He can. He's got. He's got the stick and move part down. He can do that very effectively. But more than stick, he's got a really stick. I mean, there's got to be a, a pain and punishment component behind it, not a scoring component just by itself with, with a guy like this. Now, maybe against other opponents, you can absolutely get away with that, and he has. He's looked phenomenal doing it, but against Jan, dude, if he doesn't feel the, and I'm just being genuine about it, if he doesn't seem to like detect or feel the ferocity of what you can do, he just will march down on you. Like You go back to the Aldo fight. There was a lot of times in the Aldo fight, Aldo was lighting his ass up, and it got him to back up it got him to cover up a lot. It opened up a lot of other things. Again, Aldo couldn't finish it off in the end, but you saw some weaknesses really kind of brought to life there. He is human. He can be shown to do that. Sterling's got to find a way, especially if he wants to use his range, using some other forms of kicks, to just absolutely obliterate the, the midsection of Jan. And I think without that, it's going to be difficult. Look, I don't want to just, you know, get to the finish here and say, look, the odds are right. What we learned in the first fight is right a Jan victory. Now, we may, get, we may end up there anyway. I think a lot of people are going to end up there. But, dude, Sterling's pretty pretty freaking great, dude, at times, and, and in his own lane and strengths. So, Luke, would you say Sterling's greatest potential advantage is on the ground? Now, his path to getting there was shut down the first fight from an offensive situation in terms of going for the takedown. But do you think if there is any hole in Jan's game outside of the big foul, 
that it could come if if Sterling can pull guard or 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 end up on the bottom in a takedown and search for a submission that way. Do you see a potentially vulnerable Piotr Jan going a little bit too hard with the ground and pound and finding a trap there? Well, Sterling is obviously a gifted grappler. He is very good from the back. He is, we talked about it with the upside down head and arm triangle. I mean, it's crazy strong, crazy strong. Um, yes, I, okay. So we did that number. We did that video by the numbers for the, with the channel here. And if you look at it, Sterling has a lot of good and, very, and frankly, very impressive, um, stats, but the most impressive of them are in the grappling department in my, in my judgment, the most impressive things that he has and his place among all time bantamweights in the UFC is most notably documented through his overall body of work. Yes. But especially with the grappling terms. And again, that one for 17, he goes one for 17 again. He cannot win. He cannot win doing that. There has to be more to the story. And so this is where I think the big shot opportunity stuff comes in. Going for the takedown, watching him scramble. You know he's going to scramble. You know he's going to pop back up. You got to light him up for it. And if you can really score damage over time, then some of those takedowns might become a little bit easier. Or you might get more stall positions where he doesn't want to get back up because he knows if he does, he's going to get torched for it. And so he has to rethink exactly what he wants to do in those spots. And in there, you also have big shot opportunity. This is what I'm talking about. You have to deliver punishment to produce doubt. You have to produce doubt. You have to produce... So when I say stall, I mean like not like I'm trying to ride it out, but I don't know where to go. I, I'm sitting here and I'm not moving because I, I know if I go up, I'm going to get torched, but I can't stay down. What do I do? These long, prolonged moments like that. Dude, you got to produce some of those. If Jan can just scramble and reset and scramble and reset... That's just too, that's, you're giving him too many opportunities for a fighter who's simply too smart. He has to be fighting on your terms, not his. And how you produce that, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But you must establish your terms. And in Aljamain Sterling's case, stick and move is a good one. Takedown, back control is another one. I would love to see some element of it relative to the first one much improved. And look, when you have a potential opening, like Ortega against Volkanovsky, and this fight ends up on the ground, whether it's Aljo forcing the takedown or ending up on the bottom. If you have an opening for, for a submission, Luke, you may have to sell out. You may have to gas out going for it. That may be the, you know, mm. it's sort of like when you when you handicap the main event, you're like, all right, Volkanovski's going to dance around and strike. But if you're TKZ, you got to wait for that one moment, counter big and explode and go after it. It may end up being that case for Sterling, Luke. If we get into rounds three and four again and, and he can realize he's down on the cards, man, you know, you're going to have to do what you can to create that moment and go for it. It's possible. He, he, look, he caught Sanhagen early, Luke. It is possible. But is it probable? No. What is probable is Piotr Jan regaining the title that was his, that was his fault that he lost it. But boy, did he earn back the respect with the way he handled Sanhagen. And Luke, dude, when he's saying those violent things, like in the interview with Ariel this week or whatever, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kill this guy. Piotr Jan's one of those guys that it's hard not to believe him, Luke. I think he stops Aljo. I think he does it with strikes. And I think that in this deep and loaded division, and God, would I love to see Jan against Dillashaw and, you know, whoever else, Shilly, keep lining them up. Uh, Luke, this is Piotr Jan's time. This is his division. He's the bad guy at the end of that video game. I, I tend to agree with you. I think this is Jan's fight to lose. I grant that Sterling, and by the way, 
If Jan is slow to start and Sterling is strong to start, again, dude, you have if he doesn't win the first round, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. But if he wins it, we got a ball game. We got a ball game. We at least have something worth. Okay, let's see how this one goes. So to me, a lot will hinge on that. He won it the first time out. Wasn't a sustainable game plan, but we'll see for the second time. I think Jan takes it. I think he takes it inside the distance. But Sterling, again, very much a worthy adversary. You're damn right, Luke Thomas. Uh, Let's get to the people's main event. Let's get to the one that is... uh... Excuse me, firing everyone the hell up. It's the welterweight matchup. Gilbert Burns is back, 35 years old, fresh off the destruction of Wonderboy Thompson. Grapple heavy, I might add, which might be a good preparation for all things unbeaten Hamzat Chemaev. God, Luke, we have spent a long time talking how great this kid might be. Boy, does he look to be, Luke. Uh, Odds makers at the moment. Let's go to Caesars. Plus 370, Gilbert Burns. Minus 490. Chemaev, it had been much higher during the week. We talked Wednesday of whether you could justify that based on the film, based on the swagger. And boy, has Chemaev sort of kind of won this week, Luke. You saw the video of him and Gilbert Burns crossing paths in their towels, threatening Gilbert to a naked fight. You saw the back and forth at Thursday's press conference, although I was surprised that Gilbert was, you know, making fun of his voice and trying to at least throw back some darts. Luke, I was texting with 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 the great coach himself, Phil McKagan of University of Colorado and NFL oh, nice. fame. And, you know, he he was praising Hamzat being sort of the anti of the new generation of fighter who's saying, you know, maybe you're not paying me good enough for a top 10 matchup. Let me just sort of wait until you are. Chemayev is that old school cowboy gunslinger that's like, pay whatever, bro. Let me fight your best and let me fight him now. Luke, this is hyperbolic as all hell. But are we seeing the next John Jones rising in front of us? I mean, is it really happening right now? Is this going to, you know, you know what I'm saying? We might be. Dude, he's got the, um, okay, we don't know how good he is. We'll find out Saturday. But let's imagine he wins. If he wins, he's got all the verve and like, I'll take on any comer of Jeremy Stevens or RDA. But, you know, again, if he beats Gilbert Burns with the abilities of Habib. I mean, Jesus. (laughs) Whoa. Um, that I mean, would look, be... I just asked you if the next greatest of all time is walking through that door in Jacksonville on Saturday. And the fact that you didn't hesitate to be like, you know, he might be is telling us maybe all we need to know, dude. I mean, let me let me let's let's have the conversation this way. Let me tell you what my pick is up front and let's work backwards. OK, sure. just this once. I'm going to pick Gilbert Burns. OK, hold on, hold on, hold on. I have a feeling Chemayev is going to win. <laughs> I have a feeling Chemayev is going to win. If you're asking me, like, well, what's my gut telling me? My gut is telling me that Chemayev is going to win. Um, I don't know if that's rational. I honestly don't. I don't know. I can't defend it because how do you defend gut feelings? They just kind of happen to you, right? But then I'm trying to noodle my way through this. And, you know, do you just have enough conclusive evidence? Evidence. Not gut feeling. Evidence to believe that Chemayev is going to just run over Gilbert Burns. I don't think we have enough evidence. You might have a hunch. You might have a belief. And again, if Chemayev wins, dude, I'm telling you, my gut feeling says Chemayev is going to win. So this would hardly be, in that sense, some surprise. But there is also, here's here's what I just can't separate, BC, and maybe you can help me. What I just can't separate is, I get the enthusiasm for Chemayev times a billion. What I don't get is the undermining of Burns. That's the part. There's a two-process thing that's happening here. There's like a zero-sumness to it all. 
we can only say Chemayev is good by saying Gilbert is bad. And I'm like, I don't really agree. Well, not bad, but, you know, not not all that great. I just don't agree with that, dude. Gilbert is extremely talented and very experienced. And we talked about it on Wednesday. We saw him in person, dude. You want to talk about a guy who has turned over every rock in the forest to make sure he found yeah. everything he needed to <clears throat> to get ready for this. I did see them face off, and then obviously you heard Chemayev say, you know, Burns, you look a little small. Again, dude, my gut tells me Chemayev's going to win. But I just have to feel like there's there that part of how we're talking, not us, but the community, talking about this fight in a way where everything is just about one guy's ascension without really dealing with the very particular challenges that this fight offers that we simply, in the broader context of Chemayev, we don't have answers to. Yeah. And the lack of, the, 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 the amount of guesswork that I'm asked to do here it makes me nervous as well. You're damn right. I mean, the guy's 27 years old, Chemayev. He only had four UFC fights. He had a massive double battle with COVID in between, in which he almost retired. But then, Luke, the freaking, like, the violent dismantling of the leech, the one-punch KO, one division higher of Mearshart. It's like, damn. It's a lot. It's a lot. I know now I'm regretting it, is- but, like, I don't know. I, I just don't want to sit up here and disrespect Gilbert Burns by... I don't know. I just don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. And I don't know how else to say that, but I just don't want to do it. In 10 pro fights, though, Chimaev into the second round just three times, Luke. Twice in the UFC, and both were finishes in the first two minutes of that second round. Luke, is this a three- or five-round fight? I had sort of that scare this morning like I wasn't sure. I believe it's three. Mm-hmm. All right. So that could lessen the the whole idea of deep waters. What if Gilbert is able to thrive and survive and and uh, yeah look it's one of those feelings of a force of nature coming where you know the the opponent just doesn't matter and i and the odds are telling you that do i really believe this guy is the next john jones god he's gonna have a lot more to prove than just beating gilbert burns to, to do that but there it is sort of fun to romanticize and get caught up in that because luke there is an ease to what he's doing that may be incomparable to anyone else I mean, there's an ease to yes. just the, the I'm going to do this, I'm telling you I'm going to do this, and then while I'm doing it, I'm basically pulling the old Habib trick of talking to Dana White and setting up my next fight. I mean, it is just ridiculous. He's also tall for this weight class, long. He has knockout power proven all the way up to middleweight. His ability to take you down, not just take you down, Luke, dramatically take you down and put himself in incredibly great positions to follow up is is eye-opening. But could he get caught by a submission from Gilbert Burns here? No. Could he Could he get gassed by round three if this is a, some kind of crazy firefight? I don't think we have those answers, Luke. We don't. But no. damn, dude, is Gilbert Burns going to even get out of this first round, bro? I don't even have a freaking clue. I think here, here's here's a scenario that we should probably think about for a second. I can imagine a scenario, and I think you could too, where round one is 10-8 Chemayev. Like, he just beats the fuck out of him, you know? No doubt about it. 10-8. And then the next round is a little bit more impactful, something like that, you know, but Chemayev wins. Clear his round, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, just a sort of standard round. Then what happens in round three? What if Burns, okay, beat up and deterred, still finds a way to push, and now Hamzat, because we don't know the answer to this, just doesn't have, you know, it does have good cardio, but again... People, people always forget this. 
Good cardio does not mean you can do whatever you want. I mean, at the highest level, when you're Marab Devalishvili, when you know you have a motor that's just impossible to explain, maybe he can do whatever he wants. But for the 99% of even elite fighters, you cannot do whatever you want. You have to manage those resources. And if he doesn't manage them up front, because, dude, he's only got 10 fights, and Burns finds a way to hang on, what happens in that third round? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know the I don't know the answer to any of these things. Maybe maybe Chemayev is fucking great. But here's my point. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what happens when you get there. And for me, that amount of uncertainty, while like the one thing you said I thought was 100% true is up to this point, what has he done that really distinguishes him? The ease and overwhelmingness against good opposition. Not super great opposition, but definitely good opposition. That has been undeniable. 8.68 strikes landed per minute, 0.08 strikes absorbed per minute. I have never seen a differential like that ever through four UFC fights. In fact, I don't think it's ever existed through four UFC fights. That's an all-time record. So, yeah, dude, he's a, he's a fucking freight train. But I'm just sort of pointing out what happens in the third if he has mismanaged his resources by going buck wild because how does he start? He gets shot out of a cannon to start every round. What if Burns survives? Remember what he told us, BC? One thing he plans to do is not fight to score in every position, but just to make Shemayev work, 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 work. <clears throat> what happens if that work adds up? Maybe nothing. But because we don't know, it's hard for me to have a ton of confidence he's going to go in there and just beat the fuck out of Gilbert Burns. I mean, I don't think based on the tape and the ease that we're talking about that there could be a limit to the hyperbole you put on him at the moment until we see it solved. So... Luke, I have like a LeBron feeling, meaning when you saw LeBron play in those featured high school games on, on ESPN, you're like, oh shit, this guy's like 6'8 and jacked and explosive as all hell and he can shoot and he passes like magic. And then you're like, okay, but you know, I got to see it. Right. And then he plays in the McDonald's all-star game and he's jumping over people. And then, you know, I remember specifically Luke, his rookie year, his pro debut at Sacramento. And, you know, within 10 minutes, you're like, Oh, this guy's not only going to be just fine. Like, how long until we're doing the Jordan conversation? Mm -hmm. You know, but have we seen other guys tease certain things and fall apart? A hundred percent, we have. See, here, here's the thing, though. This guy here's feels different, though. This guy just okay, feels fair enough. Different. I'm with you. I get the, I get the, I, I, dude. I was in college when LeBron was playing for what it was, it St. Mary's or whatever it was. Yep. I remember when he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I had the exact same feeling you did. I was like, dude, he is. Wow. Okay. And then you first season with the Cavs, he was just lighting the league up. He was incredible. There's no doubt that I think Chemayev has a great upside long term. I don't think that's all that false. I guess here's the one thing, and this is what Chemayev is up against historically. Not saying this applies to him, but this applies to someone who's watched MMA for a long time. I cannot tell you how many guys I've seen now, like what Chemayev has done with through four UFC fights. No, not so much that. That is certainly unusual. Again, historic. But I, there's a lot of guys in MMA that come through. And a, lot, and a lot of women, too. And you cannot imagine them doing anything other than what they've done until someone just pulls the pin out. And, and you're like, oh, they're not at all who we thought they were. You see, for example, I talk about this all the time. I've seen people come to the UFC. They got nine wins, all of them first-round KOs. And I'm like, Bubba, you obviously can punch hard. You, you have not fought anybody. You have not fought anybody that really, really mattered. You, I'm telling you, you're going to see that exposed later on. Now, I don't know if this is that fight, and I don't know if that's going to happen. What I mean to say, though, BC, is John Jones's ascension was meteoric, but a little bit slower, so there was just enough. The, the Andre Guzmao, Bonner, O'Brien, 
Matyushenko, Vera. There was this process, and every time it went in there, by the time we got to the Matyushenkos and the Veras, I knew he was going to win. That and part Vader. wasn't surprising. Yo, he put it on Vader, bro. Vader and show. Dude, he put it on everybody, basically, up until the Gustafson fight, more or less. But the point I'm trying to make here is, um, uh, historically, the amount of people that have made great names for themselves without being tested uh, and then falling apart once they get tested, I don't expect him to fall apart. I expect him to make a strong account of himself no matter what. But that historical precedent is very real. And for that reason, I have a little bit of, not fear per se, but... The, the 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 lack of clarity about that is causes yeah. a little bit of of nerve wracking. I mean, look at Shane Carwin. You know, look at we've right. seen these sort of storms f- flash through before. But Luke, what is more likely to happen Saturday night? First scenario, uh, Chimaev comes in there and does the 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 leech mode on Burns. He does Burns dirty. He takes him down. He mauls him. He chokes him out within two minutes. Chimaev. Chokes out Gilbert Burns within two minutes. Gilbert Burns mm. or Luke or, you know, he has that first uh, round, a huge 10-8 round like you're mentioning. And then he has an Edmund Shabazian like, you know, cardio-based implosion. And then he not only loses to Burns, he gets stopped and we see the uh, we see the Zeppelin crashing down on Earth. What's more likely? Because those are extreme scenarios, Luke. The more likely of, the, of those, t- okay, well, here's the thing, dude. I mean, this is the other part, too. Like, even if Burns is prepared, and even if it turned into, like, let's say the fight in a different world would have been a grappling match. Let's say they start to strike. In a different world in a grappling match, who knows how Burns may have done. And maybe reality, like, if Ben Askren had never been need, do you think he beats Jorge? I, I think he does, actually. I think he does beat Jorge on that night. If he doesn't get need in the face right away. Of course, there's no way to know, but you would at least like his chances to see. The point I'm trying to make here is, the punching power of Hamzat and his natural size advantage. Now that is very difficult to overlook. In fact, no one should. So I can see a scenario where he, you know, Hamzat winning in a shorter amount of time frame, I think is more likely than him winning late. I actually feel like, again, I don't know because we don't have any tape on the guy hardly at all, but I do feel like, dude, he comes out incredibly hot. He has ridiculous punching power. He is the bigger of the two. Watching someone take a shot, get overwhelmed, and get submitted, including Chemayev over Burns, dude, that is very much in play. Super in play. So if Hamzat's going to win, I would say chances are I like his... I just think the likelier outcome of him winning is early rather than by decision. I'll put it that way. If this was pro wrestling and you're Gilbert Burns, you reveal the two Russian spies that he brought in to, to teach him that style of wrestling <laughs> on the walkout, Luke, okay? You got those two, you got Hasbula on their shoulders, and you come out, you know, ready mentally to take this over. But even if he did that, Luke, even if he revealed Habib and Fedor behind him, nah, it's going to be a long night for our boy Gilbert. I've come to that so. point, Luke. I've come to yeah. that understanding. And by long night, I mean short night. Finish round one, Hamza. Dude, I was not the guy who was, wow. you know, am I am I now drinking the juice? Yes. But I wasn't those guys who were pouring them into the jugs originally, you know. But Luke, the, the tape is, the tape says what it says. Do you have to do the eye test to get to that point? You do. But good God, we got something special in front of us. We talk about Islam maybe being the next Habib from the standpoint of, you know, dominant Russian-based wrestler finisher who oh, just so happens to have Habib in his corner. And, and Islam might be that, Mahachev. But this is a different type of animal who could also fill that Habib role in terms of uh, foreign crusher superstar. He's coming on, Luke. 
And if you're coming you see, on, question for you, question for you, yeah. serious, before we move on. If Chemayev beats Burns in the first round, which I recognize is absolutely 1 billion percent in play, no doubt about it. If he does that, should he leapfrog uh, Leon Edwards for the title shot? Oh, and just go right to it. That would be very Nganu knocking out Overeem-like of the UFC. Yeah, like where here, it's like, here's what I'm it. saying. Like, like, does Leon Edwards deserve it times a billion himself? Like, uh, who could say otherwise? Wow. Show me a win on Leon's record, w- w- which would be better than someone choking out or whatever, you know, choking out Gilbert Burns inside of a round. Show me, show me that on his ledger. It, do- it doesn't exist. Like, remember those... Um, there were many moments in Don King's controversial career where he would walk in with one fighter and leave with the other if that fighter lost, right, and put his arm around him and be that guy. If I'm Dana White, they've been very Team Kamaru of late because here's a guy who is the pound-for-pound king and has you know, become a star. If, the, if that finish goes that way, they might be walking out of the arena with their arm around Chimaev, and you're right. We may be doing that title shot not only next, Luke, but in the main event of International Fight Week. Oh! Oh, oh snap. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, this is, we, we said it on Wednesday, we'll say it again, this is a historic bout, a historic bout. Hamzat Shemaev is either the next John Jones or Gilbert Burns is about to remind everybody what fucking time it is. And either way, wow. I can't wait. So are you on the record of Gilbert Burns by upset via what method, Luke? I'll say ground and pound round three. Wow. Something stupid. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 that, that part I didn't think about. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Watch it be like Karatanov, Mitrion, be like a dick kick, first strike, fight over, Luke. Okay? <laughs> I, know. You know? I, I, I poke seven seconds. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Did you, see, did you see in the countdown, Kamzat, when he's sparring and he goes, give me all the pressure, bro. Give me all the problems. Oh, I'm yeah. Crush them all. I make love to pressure. That's what Paulie Malinaji said. I'm sure he made love to him more than pressure. Yeah. Yeah, wow. dude, I've, I've, I've seen it. There are certain guys that when the lights come on, you know, for most people, that's when you get nervous and you have to steal yourself and you have to, you know, you have to like put all this behind you. And then there are guys who are like, please give it to me. That's yeah. what I need to be my best. And I envy those, those athletes Would because that's very special. That when that red light turns on, I'm Chimaev like. You see, I was about to say, that's how I felt at that Vegas show, bro, with those Chewies. That was me right there. I'm like, give me all the pressure. Look at this guy, Manich. Manich just, just walking all over the show. I love it right now. Yeah, let him. have that let fear him. of like being it. the next Jay Aaron. Yeah. <clears throat> Jay, Jay DM'd me this morning, by the way, Jay Aaron. What'd he say? No, nothing important. All right. I thought he was going to say, you know, the show would never have birthed unless, you know, his hands were there to take the head out, Luke. Okay. Well, he did make it all about himself in the DM, which is very much what he does. So, shouts yeah. to Jay. You, shouts here's your Jay. attention dollar. There you go. Uh, Manich, thank you for sliding in. I appreciate it. Well, Corey Manich, Luke, if we did, if we revealed the, the Malka pound for pound uh, rankings that would probably end a few friendships, Corey's in, in you know, he's in the conversation like, like Volkanovsky trying to snoop up on Usman right now for the number one slot, okay? Okay. Let's move along. Wow, no, no cell Friday is back. Yeah, wow. Was, you know, you know. Hey, RJ's holding pretty strong up there too at the moment. We'll can't wait to find out his skeletons. All right, here we go. Look, the rest of this two seventy three card. I loved it that this straw important strawweight bout, Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres, was featured on the dais uh, in that UFC uh, two seventy three press conference on Thursday. 
Luke, an important matchup, and they talked about the stakes there, and Dern said, look, I'm coming off a loss to Marina Rodriguez. I need this big-name win. Maybe give me one or two more, and I'm going to be ready for a title shot. Tisha, on the other hand, the veteran riding the three-fight win streak, believes this victory will put her into a number-one contender bout to, to finally get her first UFC title shot, Luke. And she is a little bit of an OG. She was on Tisha Torres on that 2014 tough season, which launched the first Carla Esparza Rosnama Yunus fight for the inaugural title. Tisha's got that early victory over Rose, PVZ. I mean, Tisha's got some good ass wins, and she has reinvented herself from that disastrous losing streak. But Luke, when you match up these styles, who are you leaning toward here in a good ass fight Saturday night? I think here's the thing. The majority of the time, for as long as this fight goes, 5, 10, or 15 minutes, the majority of that time, I think, will be spent being won by Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres is a better striker. She's good about her movement. She is always in phenomenal shape. She's strong. She's good at clinch breaking. She, she just is very good about that stick and move kind of Taekwondo style a little bit, which we know her for. In fact, her numbers kind of speak to that. 4.71 strikes landed per minute, 3.61 absorbed. A little high on the absorption end, but still a very positive differential over an integer. That's pretty good. Let's look at Mackenzie Dern's number. 3.13 strikes landed per minute. Pretty good. Not high, but that's that's okay. Strikes absorbed. 4.22. So she has a negative striking differential, which I think this, the topic, which which excuse me, which the tape speaks to. I mean, this ain't hard to figure out, dude. Either Mackenzie Dern's going to get this on the ground or she's not. It's very difficult for me to believe. Or, you know, take the back standing or whatever. Put this on grappling terms, I guess is the better way to put that. But as long as this fight is standing and at range, we know that Mackenzie Dern's defense has not been there. Her, you know, to borrow from Edmund Tavertian, the, the head movement has actually been a real big problem for her. Um, she is tough and she is durable. We should also note that Mackenzie Dern has not shown to be like Hodger Gracie is the greatest jujitsu player probably ever. I think that's probably a fair thing to say, but he was not great at taking punishment in MMA. It wasn't, it really derailed him. Uh, but Noguera doesn't have Hodger Gracie's credentials, but Punishment did not derail him. He was still very resilient. Mackenzie Dern is, you know, I'm not going to say Noguera, but certainly closer to that than the Hodger Gracie side when it comes to, um, you know, her durability. So that will keep her in this fight. And Tisha Torres, you know, I'm not going to say had, at five foot one, uh, 115 pounds has like fight ending power. So this is it. No. This is feast or famine, BC. Either Mackenzie Dern has new striking skills we haven't seen. Or she has got to put this on grappling terms. Otherwise, this is Tisha Torres' fight to lose. I mean, it's crazy, Luke, that just, what, three years ago, I thought this was the if for Tisha Torres, right? She's, you know, pushing right. 30 and had that four-fight losing streak. But when you look at her five career losses, which have all come in the UFC, all against elites in Nama Yunus, Andrade, Young Jacek, Zhang Wei Li, and Marina Rodriguez, and Luke, all five by decision. She's not only never been submitted, she's never been stopped by strikes. So what Tisha Torres has always lacked, of course— is the fight-ending power to go along with the fact that she's always been great in terms of footwork, darting in and out, getting her combinations off. This is certainly a fight where I think she can surprise Dern on the feet and, and, and win a spirited decision here. Obviously got to keep herself out of trouble on the ground, but she is a good defensive wrestler. She has those skills. Luke, when you look at the odds, they're, they're, they're going more pick them than anything else. Caesars has minus 115 Dern as your slight favorite over a minus 105 Tisha Torres. So, it's anyone's fight in this instance. Dern have the higher upside? I would say yes, but we can't underestimate the shape and the focus that Torres has brought back to this win streak. This fight is a step up from the previous three wins she's had to reform herself, uh, you know, coming against... I mean, Angela Hill was a good-ass win there in the third one, but 
this should be a big step up in a win. I mean, Luke, could you see with a win, Tisha Torres really entering the title conversation for arguably the first time? Yes. Yes. And again, everyone's like, oh, well, she has to, you know, take down her bust for Mackenzie Dern. Right. Listen to this. Her, her, her takedown, the takedown defense of Tisha Torres, 58%. Not that high. Not that high. The takedown accuracy of Mackenzie Dern is 10%. She whiffs on 90% of them. Now, granted, that last one she get, if, if she gets it, is fucking deadly because yeah. all she needs is that one. But you just have to, you don't have to believe. It seems reasonable to conclude that if you're only, I mean, if the takedown percent was like 50%, even 30%, I'd be like, okay, I might feel differently about this. At 10? Eesh, I don't know, man. I really don't. And it's not five rounds. It's only three. Yeah, a little Maya Woodley spam heavy, those statistics right there, Luke. But if only Mackenzie could evolve at the quickness that her accent did, Luke, then, then we'd see a super. Look, uh, jokes aside, well, I, Mackenzie's title material, and I really think she is, even though there's still room to go with her with her with her uh striking at times she's you know she's heavy-handed luke but you know it can be a little raw and looping and 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 uh look if she's not dialed in tisha torres can win a decision here but dern is is i say dern has the brighter ceiling because i mean it luke um obviously the biggest statement she can make would be to, to come in here and land big shots and, and, and drop and hurt Torres and try to finish her on the ground. I mean, if she could do that, a massive statement would be made, but this is a very key turning point fight because even though Mackenzie lost to Marina Rodriguez, she was far from dominated. Luke, it was a competitive fight. Marina was the better fighter, but there's still room to grow for, for, for Dern. But I like Dern betting wise as the favorite. And even with Tisha's turnaround, Luke, just Dern's fight to win or lose. And I think um, if she's going to be who she has the potential to be, she got to make a big statement here. No doubt about it. The Ronda Rousey path was a lot of things that folks had identified as, oh, you know, Dern's good at submissions and Rousey was good at submissions. Maybe she could do what Rousey did. But, you know, Rousey, for all her faults, was very good about using takedowns, high-level takedowns into submissions in quick succession or high-level takedowns into dominant positions for then a submission Dern has to struggle a lot more on that front end. Now, if she can get to a dominant position, you are in huge trouble. But because there is so much friction up front for her to get there, she just has had a lot less success. Whenever Tisha Torres might change a lot of her fortunes and get her back on that star path. And Luke, how about that little trash talk going on back and forth there? I was like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme with the cigarette and the beer going, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. I, I, I bet felt, you did. I felt something, Luke. All right. I bet you did. Um, yeah, so uh, Luke Marco Madsen looks like he's getting that bump up to the opening bout on this pay-per-view main card uh, against your boy Vink Pichel. Is that how I'm saying it correctly? Vince. He doesn't spell it with an E, but it's Vince. Vince. Let me let me get that straight. Let me get that through my damn skull here, Luke. Uh, let me tell you about the odds before I get your take. And we mentioned on Wednesday that Madsen's going to have to, you know, he's got to take a step up here. He's going to have to show us that a complete game is possible for him. He'll be the underdog plus 105 minus 125 for Vince. Uh, Luke, I, I love Madsen's game. I just don't see it ending well for him, meaning this fight and his attempt at this age, you know, to become a legitimate top 10 guy. He's, he's, he's had a decent start in getting here, but I think there's too many holes in his game still, Luke. I think this may be the moment where he gets, he gets solved in that regard. How? Uh, outworked? Potentially stopped because of that, Luke. 
get into a hellacious pace. But if he's unable to get that type of dominant success on top on the ground, there's some holes there, Luke. There's some holes. Here's the thing that stands out to me. I think he takes a little bit more punches than he should, given his, you know, he's a good striker, but is not, I mean, obviously, you can see the picture here. This is what he's best at, grappling, uh, upper body takedowns, Greco-Roman background. Like, that's where he really is going to excel. And in that level, I don't know if Vince has anything for him. And a lot of guys probably can't wrestle on that level and the whole all of UFC who, in terms of what Marco Madsen has done and can do. But he can kind of brawl a little bit. He can kind of be in range for strikes a little bit. He can overcommit a little bit. And Vince Bichelle is durable and tough, experienced at this point. He has good ground and pound, actually. But it's going to require mistakes from Madsen, overcommitted, aggressive mistakes for him to be in that range. Will he do that? That's a little harder to know, but if he does, then Pichel will win. There's just simply no denying. He can't afford to not be um, diligent about his positioning, strike selection, volume. He has to be kind of on point with this one, and you're right. Sometimes he just kind of goes balls to the wall a little bit, which as wrestling, you know, it's just, it, yes, you have to be technical as hell too, but wrestling is so short to two, these two, sometimes three-minute periods where you have to just go, 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 go. Uh, fighting is a little bit more slowed down from that. I don't know if he has that that gear. We're gonna find out. Yeah, and and you know, Pichel's no no youngster himself. He's thirty nine, but Luke, he's won seven of eight. And uh, the thing about Madsen, even if he controls the first two rounds with wrestling, he may he may wear himself out in the process. So it's something to watch True. as he continues to figure out this transition game. The odds are close here. I like Pichel. Uh, Luke, when you look up and down this card, uh, a big fight we uh, highlighted on the prelims, women's bantamweight Aspen Ladd in a must-win, straight-up situation against Raquel Pennington. Luke Ladd won this morning by making 135 with, with relative ease. So whatever change in her preparation, nutritionally, fitness-wise, it seems to have uh, uh, done well, Luke. Boy, did I mismanage my fluids. Why don't you take this one, Luke? I'll be right back, all right? Well, I was just going to say that Aspen Ladd, she made 136 this morning, and I was very closely watching to see what that would look like. You know, a lot of times she has made weight or she's done well or something, you know, got got the fight past the scales in terms of just finding a way to get it done, but has looked terrible on the scales, uh, trembling, not being able to hold herself upright. I mean, you guys have all seen the horror tapes. They're, they're not great. There was really, I didn't see any sign of that this time. She looked a lot better. What that means for Saturday, anyone knows, but we talked about it on the weekend. Uh, let me see the odds on this one. I did not see the odds before BC had decided to get up and take a piss, but... The odds makers have this particular fight, Aspen Ladd versus Raquel Pennington. Our friends over at Caesar Sportsbook have Ladd at about a plus 155 and Pennington at about a minus 180. I got to tell you, I find that pretty fair, pretty reasonable. Um, Ladd has a lot of ability, but has a lot of questions to answer. And Pennington has, you know, certainly a lot of experience and is durable, but has been in the game a little bit. And you kind of know what you're going to get, um, although there's still doing a little bit of surprising, a little bit towards the end there. I'm just sort of saying that one is fresher and very talented, but very much unproven with a lot of doubts. The other one is has been to the mountaintop. It's sort of back down a little bit um, and a little bit older, a little bit you know longer in the tooth, and that has both positives and negatives. Other fights on this card worth paying attention to for me. We talked about it on Wednesday. Uh, Mickey Gall has been up and down, up and down since the Sage Northcutt fight. If he wins, he continues that trend. If he loses, it'll be the first time I think ever he'll have put two back-to-back -back losses together. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's in a while anyway. Alexio Linick is back against Jared Vandera. That was supposed to happen, I think, on the previous card or previous two cards. They had to move it. Uh, Anthony Hernandez taking on Josh Fremd. Piera, uh, I think it's Rodriguez. Kay Hansen did, in fact, miss weight for this card. 118 and a half. 
for their women's strawweight bout. So she wasn't even close. And I, I, I think the bout, my last reading was, you have to double check me, my last reading was this bout will go forward, but uh, Hansen will not attempt to cut that way. So she's going to get fined a percentage of her purse, which will go to Rodriguez. And then Julio Arce and Daniel Santos will open up the card. BC, are you back? Good, sir. Yeah, you know, you could argue it's unprofessional to leave a middle of an award-winning show, but Luke, I've been trying to flush myself out of, of any illness living in a sick house for a week and a half, so it is what it is at the end of the Next day. Next time, Luke, just wear some diapers and then just go on yourself. Yeah, just, just a large bottle. My grandfather used to take a large bottle, Luke, on the long drives from Florida back to Connecticut and, and you know, and pee and drive. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's not my, it's not my preferred method, Luke, okay? It is what it okay. is at the Once end Once again, of the day, right? let he who is without sin cast the first stone. All right, Luke, there's your UFC 273 breakdown. Let's keep the train moving at Loaded Boxing Weekend. We laid out in detail, ad nauseum, the storylines on Wednesday. Really pissed off our MMA fans. But, hey, guys, this is an award-winning combat sports show. And Showtime Championship Boxing has a very good triple header from, uh, I believe, Las Vegas. Saturday night, Luke, 10 p.m. Eastern is your start. And that main event is an important one, 154. Erickson Lubin, Sebastian Fundora. It'll be for the interim WBC championship and a mandatory shot at the winner of the May 14th, Jermel Charlo, Brian Castaño undisputed championship rematch. Obviously Tim Zhu also has a stake in that becoming the mandatory for Castaño's title with his victory over Terrell Gaucher. But Luke, as this fight breaks down, no one's more battle tested than Erickson Lubin having won six in a row impressively since that first round knockout to Jermel Charlo. Fundor, however, is unbeaten Luke. He hasn't fought the same level of competition. He's an anomaly for this division, being he's six foot six with insanely long arms, skinny legs and body, yet fights in an all-action, brawling style from the start. The odds were pretty even all week. Lubin has become the slight betting favorite here as we look at Caesar Sportsbook, minus 150, plus 125 for Fundora. Luke, uh, this has action fight written all over it. It really does. Even though Lubin can box as good as he can punch, and even though you can make the argument that if you're Lubin, you might want to box and stay away from brawling with this big boy, we did see Lubin in an all-out war with Jason Banana Rosario in his last bout. He got hurt. He stopped him, though, and came back and did it. What type of fight are you expecting when these two touch gloves Saturday night? Here, So I did a fair amount of watching tape on this one, and I've read what other you know what the experts are saying. My best read on this fight is that Lubin presents a challenge that Fundora has never answered before in terms of all the tricks and tools that he has. He's a very skilled fighter. And more to the point, I think he can crack in a way that I don't know which of Fundora's previous opponents could punch. I'm not saying he's like, oh, he's the hardest hitter in this division. That's not what I'm saying. But he can, he's got good power. He's a good, he's, he, he is a boxer, but he can punch too, you know? Uh, and so I think what's going to happen is Fundora, like he always does, is going to give up that reach uh, eventually, pretty quickly, actually. And I think Lubin is going to light him up on the inside. I think he's going to have tricks, angles. He's going to push him backwards, I think, eventually. And that inability to maintain range and really put punishment on Lubin. I mean, and everyone goes back to the Charlo fight. But, dude, Charlo can punch his ass off. He's a very, very good puncher, you know. Dude, Fundora is not that. He's not that. So he's got an interesting frame, and it makes for a fun I'm going to say it again, the odds makers. This is the most competitive boxing main event of the weekend, bar none, period. Yes, we work for Showtime. Watch all three and see if we're right. By all means, dead wrong us if we're not. But I, I, I feel like um, 
Fundora is going to get eaten alive from the inside, and and Lubin's going to have seventh or eighth round stoppage. Yeah, look, skills wise, there's a gap here, but the odds are telling you that Fundora is in play, and I think that's because. We've seen Lubin one punched before by Charlo, and we saw him hurt. And these highlights you're seeing here, although he rallied to stop Jason Rosario and beautiful body attack, he was hurt early. Is he chinny? Is he suspect? I don't, you know, the jury's still kind of out, Luke. I mean, um, he doesn't have disastrous losses outside of that hiccup against Charlo, which boy has he repaired, but he has had to take the long road in Lubin to get back here. The wins have been impressive. Coach Kevin Cunningham, as his trainer, has really helped him regain his confidence. Uh, be a double dual threat. I think Fundora became more of an accidental prospect, Luke. You know, yeah, he fought Jamonte Clark to a draw. He could have got lost there. Even in his last fight against Sergio Garcia, he won a close decision, could have got a loss there. I think he's just won so many in a row that it's sort of like, all right, let's see what we got from Fundora. I believe you're right. He's not necessarily a, a finisher, but he is a puncher and he is long and he does kind of force you to brawl because Luke, if Lupin's going to dart in and out and be the boxer puncher, it's hard to get inside on a guy that long who's willing to brawl with you. So we're going to have to see some action. And one thing I told Erickson Lubin in our interview that we did together uh, that you can check out on youtube.com slash morning combat is Fondora really only knows one way. You're going to have to finish him to beat him, Luke. And I think that's what Erickson Lubin's going to have to do. Look for him to have some success early using those advantages. And again, I do think the skill advantage is wide. But to have big time success, he's going to have to get into the danger zone. Fondora's style sort of just makes that happen. And once he gets there, Luke, to avoid getting hurt himself, I think he's going to have to finish Fondora. And I think if he does spectacularly, he will get the winner of Charlo Castaño next. Great. I would love to see the rematch. Nothing would make me happier than Lubin getting a second crack. I mean, let the best man win. But for history's sake, for rematch sake, for just fun fight's sake, Lubin winning would be fantastic. And former 154-pound champ Tony Harrison, Luke, is back in the co-main event against Sergio Garcia, the guy who just lost to Fundora. And I don't know if you saw at the uh, press conference oh, yesterday. I, I don't believe we have tape, but Tony Harrison was at the dais talking about the fight against Garcia. And Luis Arias, uh, nicknamed Cuba, the guy who just beat uh, uh, Swift, Jared Swift, to, uh, Jared Swift heard to uh, upset him on the, uh, on the uh, Logan Paul Mayweather card. Uh, Tony Harrison came out from the crowd after Cuba Arias threw a duck at him, Luke, and talked that J, talked that shit. And uh, he went out there and lit him up two-piece uh, and a side of, uh, of Diet Cola, uh, you know, Masvidal version. Then went right back up to the dais and continued like nothing happened. So he's a Detroit G, Luke. He's old school. And um, we're going to see if he can bounce back. Boy, does he need a big win come Saturday night. Let's keep it going, Luke. There are some very high-profile fights along with this Showtime triple header. And Saturday morning, it's not breakfast at Wimbledon, but it's close. Triple G from Japan. It's a middleweight unification bout. Triple G just turned 40 yesterday, and he looks to join Bernard Hopkins as the only fighters 40 and over in boxing history to unify world titles. It'll come against Ryota, Ryota Murata. Luke, I clearly butchered that. Uh, there's Triple G on the left. It'll take place the main event around 8.15, 8.30 Saturday morning. And Luke... um. Look, Triple G is the better fighter. He is historically, but he's been inactive and he's had to travel to Japan for this one. Trap fight or survive in advance and let's do the Canelo trilogy. Supposed to be survive in advance. It's funny. I tweeted it out this morning. It's a great YouTube channel uh, called Rummy's Corner, which 
is just if you if you're looking for boxing history and even contemporary boxing analysis and coverage, it's fantastic, but especially good on boxing history. At his preview, he thinks that Triple G is probably going to win, which I think most people do, but that Murata could give him more trouble than people imagine. That he is, you know, a boxer puncher too, not of the level of Triple G, and he has been off even longer, I think, because um, this fight, fight was supposed to happen in Japan, and then the whole COVID thing. Anyway, uh, the first time around, so he's been off even longer. Um, you know, the, there's been a couple of losses that uh, Murata has had where they were rematches, and he shined in them and really showed. With the right approach, he was much better than the guys who were he was better than. So I really think it's going to be, you know, what kind of Murata do we get here? I, I still am going to pick Triple GBC, but it is interesting to me that there are a few folks I'm seeing out there, not just Romy's Corner, but I've seen a few other places. They're saying, like, you know what, this one is going to be fun and could be, you know, first six, maybe eight rounds. Oh, a little bit up in the air about who wins, but they just kind of expect Triple G with his power to either win more rounds in the end or get the stoppage. So I'll go with Triple G here, BC, but... I'm going to lean on what everyone else says. I, I think this one could be a lot of fun to pay attention to and maybe yeah, it, uh, maybe an upset potential. It may be closer than it should be competitively. And that's because, look, Murata's got a great chin and he's hungry. He goes after it. And he'll be fighting in front of his home crowd. So if he can take advantage of a potentially slow starting Triple G and also a slower Triple G, meaning, look, Luke, we've seen it. The decline physically is there from that monster that, that tore up the middleweight division a decade ago. Murata's going to have to eat some big shots, but if he can make this a war, Luke, he's not a, let's call him, I won't call him a knockout puncher per se, but dude, he put it on Rob Brandt in that rematch in his last fight and regained the title by knocking him the hell out. Murata punches accurate and he punches hard enough. If he can make this into an accidental war and we see an aging Triple G slowing down and absorbing damage, could get interesting, Luke. That could also speed up Murata's exit, given the puncher that Triple G is with power the last thing to go. I think at the very least, would you call this matchup sexy? Never. But it is a middleweight unification, and there are enough questions here. Obviously, with the big payday of Canelo lingering for Triple G, if he can win this fall, eh, it's worth watching, at least. The folks at the zone are going to air this, Luke, from Japan Saturday morning. When you look at the odds to close here, Triple G, a firm favorite, at minus uh, four fifty, I believe minus five seventy five. Excuse me for boxing main events. That's not that high. It's really not that high. No, no, it really isn't. Um, it would take a lot here for Murata to win, but the foundation has been built with the time off, the long road trip. Triple G looking a little old. It's going to be fun to watch. I still like Triple G by knockout. We'll see what happens there. And then obviously, look, look, the big ticket return is Ryan Garcia. They're calling it the Rye Turn on his own Saturday night as he takes on Emmanuel to go. Uh, from Ghana, he brings it. Luke, I watched an interview that Garcia did with his new trainer, uh, Joe Goosen, on on fight. Uh, what was it uh, fight hype? What the heck is that? Uh, the one that Floyd always talks to, Luke. Yeah, Tell fight hype. Mm -hmm. Fight hype. And you know, Luke, they talked about this being a 139 pound catch catch weight fight, but that was the original weight when the fight was first announced. It's not because Garcia is having any trouble making weight. He normally fights at 135, but it'll be a 14 month layoff, a change in trainer, wrist surgery. Mental health battles, blah, blah, blah. When they get in there, Luke, I like this matchup a lot. Togo is not a sexy name. He's 33 years old, but he's got a good record. He's got the reputation coming from Akragana of a tough, aggressive, come-forward fighter. If this is Ryan Garcia's implosion moment, then you could argue Togo has the style and the attitude to make it interesting. But if he's not, Luke, Garcia is well 
well, well more skilled than him, quicker, more accurate, better combinations. And one thing Joe Goosen said, now is it hyperbole? I don't know, but when I watched this interview, he said, I've never seen a training camp like this before. And mind you, Goosen's trained everybody, Shane Mosley, Diego Corrales, the Ruelas brothers. I mean, he's trained everybody. He said Garcia brought in 11 sparring partners and all 11 were sent home, essentially knocked the hell out, Luke. He said he's never seen this type of one-way traffic in a camp before. What I like about this matchup is Garcia's got a lot of questions to answer that go beyond everything we said, right? It's also head movement, defense. He may not answer those questions and he may still blow to go away because that's his style and he's aggressive and eventually he will get solved. But until he gets solved, Luke, we're going to see some spectacular finishes along the way. Boy, is there intrigue in seeing how Ragai looks with Joe Goosen. But if Joe Goosen's history is anything, Luke, we're going to see a dialed-in offensive aggressive as shit, Ryan Garcia. And matchup-wise, ability-wise, I think that explains the wide odds. Yeah, let me just say, let me save uh, everyone's time here. If Ryan Garcia loses, his career is in trouble. There is no good reason he should lose this fight. I know that to go on paper has something of a uh, interesting record numerically anyway, but it's just that. Togo's been off for a long time, too. Uh, Ryan Garcia is going to obliterate him, and if he doesn't, his career is going to be obliterated. Either way, yeah. uh, that's, that, the, 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 no, no extra analysis is needed here. Minus 1,600, Raga, your favorite, plus 850 to go. It would have to be a serious implosion. It, you know, I mean, it could get caught, and, and, but it'd have to be bad. You're right. Uh, Luke, he is set up here with, with an aggressive guy coming at him to really put it on him and show you how offensively sublime Ryan Garcia still is. Obviously you're going to tune in for the, to see if the distractions can get, you know, if they're not an issue anymore, but uh, he's a guy to watch moving forward. And Luke, you know, he said it. I want Gervonta Tank Davis. He's like, I don't know how that matchup's going to be made, you know, network wise, promoter wise, but he wants him if he can get past this. And Oscar De La Hoya said, there's very few guaranteed $1 million pay-per-views in boxing available he thinks Ragai versus Tank is one of them, Luke. They both have fights first, but that's an interesting thought. Boy, Luke, would yeah, you be... Long-term, I agree with that. Long-term. Boy, would you be fired the hell up for that, Luke. I know you, okay? I know you Dude, Tank well. Davis getting in Roly Romero's face yesterday was... <laughs> oh, Romero's about to get it. He is about gonna, to get it. Bad. That's going to be fireworks when those two touch gloves in Brooklyn. We'll see. Quickly, Luke, can we throw to this Paulo Costa tweet? Is this anything, Luke? This guy, I know... You know, he likes his red wine before fights, but um, what a turn of events soap opera-wise. Paula Costa puts out on, on Twitter, at Boricina MMA, um, after this shit's Luke Rockhold said, I will reveal a curiosity. Vitor Belfort is my dad, and it happened when him and my young and sexy mom gets in romance in Rio. Now everyone knows. That's when we bring me to the UFC. The staff called me Baby Vitor. I mean, Luke, I've heard crazier things, but this is pretty crazy. I like to believe that I don't think Paulo, he's telling the truth. I like to believe that Paulo was born as a full adult in 2013 <laughs> because of Vitor's TRT use, Luke, right? You know what I mean? He just came out ready, right? He was a, he was a mogwai, and then he got water on his back after midnight, and then all hell broke yeah. loose. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this he is says a hell strange of a flex shit, dude. Here, this guy, this guy is strange. He was also like bigging up Putin, being like, "Yeah, look at this guy. He looks tough. I like him better." It's like this is a very sophisticated geopolitical analysis of leadership. But thank you. Yeah, yeah. Wow, he called his own mom sexy, Luke. I mean, yeah, okay. Also right, troubling. Bro. Also troubling. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, Luke, we close the show every Friday with that email address we offer people, morningcombat at gmail.com for your chance. Do you think we're a bunch of blowhards that speak into a microphone endlessly without thought? Uh, sometimes we get a little, a little bit wrong, so why don't you step up to the plate and try to prove that in this great segment we call Dead Wrong. All right, this is Tom from Down Under. He says, hey guys, around 58 minutes on Friday's pod, Brian said... The upcoming George Cambosis fight at Marvel Stadium was aiming to break the record for the largest boxing crowd, which was also set at Marvel Stadium, Horn versus Pacquiao, except the Horn fight never took place there. That was at Suncorp Ooh. Stadium in Horn's hometown of Brisbane, not Melbourne. Put some respect on your Brisbane listeners, Brian. Keep up the great work. Tom. I'll take that out, Luke. I was wrong, okay? I don't know much about Australian cities being, you know, I know I know they are different ones, but I, I can't, I don't know shit about Australia, unfortunately, so I, I didn't have, I, wa- the, I didn't know to correct you. I watch a lot of House Hunters International, and I always wait for the Australian episodes, Luke, okay? Because I want, I, I, I think we could do big, big business there, Luke, all right? I know the we submission could. radio guys have it on lockdown, right? Yeah, they do. Shout out they to do. Casper and, and, uh, and uh, the other, Dennis, Dennis, right? Dennis? Dennis, yeah, Dennis. Yeah. Wow, Mikey Morm's sliding in. He wants to. That's his dream travel spot. He wants us to end up there, Luke. Right. Let's do a pod maybe, down there. Maybe for the Adesanya Whitaker trilogy, Luke. Maybe. All right, I'll take that L. I was wrong, but this this fight, if they break it, will break the uh, the Australian boxing attendance record. If that's a thing, Luke. Uh, let's keep it going here. A bunch of people sent this in on episode two seventy three, around thirty three minutes. Luke said that Adesanya has never lost in MMA when Ooh. discussing where Volkanovski yes. belonged. On the pound for pound list, Luke, your thoughts? Yeah, except for that Blahovich fight, right? Yeah, except for that one. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Okay, undefeated right. at middleweight, but yeah, I fucked that one up big time. So sorry, I'll take that LBC. I mean, you know, could 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 you have scored Romero three to two? It's possible, Luke. <laughs> it's possible. All right, uh, Caesar and Seth both wrote in. This time it's Seth saying, "I'm here again to dead wrong you." This one's for BC, and it should cut deep because he calls himself the pro wrestling guy. Now I haven't watched this staged bullshit since I was 10 and I found MMA. But at 143 of the show, BC referred to what Logan Paul did at WrestleMania as a moonsault when, in fact, it was a frog splash, BC. (laughs) If you're going to bring your pro wrestling bullshit to our award winning MMA show, at least get it right. Wow, bro. You're getting you're getting some you're a man. You're getting that guy in the bleachers who's like, it's still real to me. Damn it. To get on yeah. your ass about this. But that actually is a bad uh, L because he wrestled against Rey Mysterio Jr. And his son. And he's so he, him doing that frog splash is a tribute to Eddie Guerrero. You know, so it's like it's all really I, I effed it up. Luke, you don't care. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, this one's from Nima. Come on, BC. That submission that put the first L on Colby's record. That was done by Worley Alvis, not Alvarez, that you mentioned Ooh. on episode 285. Keep it going, guys. Thanks. Uh, I thought I said Alvis. Worley Alvis. Uh, sometimes these dead wrongs have to be double-checked, but yeah, it also yeah. sounds very plausible that you would call someone Alvarez instead of Alvis. It's possible, you pedantic piece of shit. All right, one more, Luke. It's from Robert. At 147 of Monday's episode, that's 285, during Have You Seen This Shit?, BC claimed that the athletes running in the clip were in an 1800 or maybe even a 1600 kilometer race. While I understand that they don't teach much of the metric system in factory town, Connecticut, 1600 kilometers is the distance from New York city to Jacksonville and would take 4,000 laps around a track to compete. A 1600 meter race means 
you were only off by a factor of 1,000 meters. Absolutely love the show, guys. All the success and awards are deserved. Much love and aloha, Robert from Hawaii. I'll take oh, that L. Hawaii. I'll take, it. I'll take that L. You're right. You're right. All right. That's it. Luke, that's it. What a great show, right? Dude, in, out, full of all the information you need. What should we plug yeah. on the channel, BC? Uh, we should definitely plug our merch, morningcombat.store. They've gotten rid of the uh, the spring bullshit. We cleaned that out. There's some new stuff coming shortly, I'm told. But uh, check out yours right now, Luke. Saturday night, I believe I can fly. And I believe that you will be hitting up a UFC 273 post-fight live reaction show immediately following the telecast, Luke. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. So be right back here Saturday night. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. I will have a live post-fight show for UFC 273. Let's get it. Yeah, me hosting on Friday. It's the best 90 minutes of the week for anybody right there. Check out Luke's Saturday night as well. Uh, go to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. You can get not only our three live shows per week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Luke's got a great numbers breakdown. If you want more on the preview of the 273 card, I've got an interview with Demetrius Johnson. Uh, Gilbert Burns, we had a great chat. You can still check that out. A lot of boxing on there as well. Thank you very much. Um... Luke, I will be off Monday and Wednesday of next week. My kids are on school vacation. We're going we're gonna to all recover together, but uh, hopefully you can find somebody to replace me. Oh, I, no one can replace you, but I will find someone else to host the show with. All right, but it's only two episodes because, Luke, late next week, you and I. Hell yeah. It's time, bro. Spence Greater Dallas, Ugas. Arlington, By the way, check Texas. out my Spence Ugas dissected preview if you want to get just a sort of a handle on what you could expect for that main event. And uh, yeah, we're going to, me, NBC, in Dallas. Going to be a good time. We're going to be doing live morning combat from there. We're going to be doing a lot of bonus stuff. It should be awesome. And obviously a welterweight unification bout that you can only see on Showtime pay-per-view next week. Errol Spence Jr., your Danis Ugas cannot freaking wait. Uh, for Luke Thomas, for our fantastic staff here. Uh, Luke, how about this guy, Long Island Luke? You a big fan of him? He's been running the show lately. Australian Luke? Yes, he is very yeah, talented. His dad's from Down Under. Where's his dad from? Brisbane? They're all the same. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I mean, I don't know. Is he from that, that the Outback? I don't know, Luke. Whatever. All right. Is he from that bed that Tai Tuivasa pissed on? Um, for that great team, uh, this is an award-winning show, and we love you. Enjoy your weekend, folks. Enjoy the fights. And, um, you know, spade your animals or some shit and something about gains. But uh, BC's here to tell you, hard work good and hard work fine, right? But first, take care of Ed. Okay, that's it. We out. That's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this show anymore. That's it. All right.